Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 170. And today we're going to be talking about how to find new product suppliers to expand your brand, some best practices, some common mistakes, and all of that good stuff. Now, I've invited on a special guest. His name is Peter Zaff. And he has worked for a company called GlobalSources.com for over 15 years. Now, you may or may not have heard of them, but they are a company that is very similar to Alibaba and AliExpress. And he's going to tell us and explain to us how their company operates and what makes them a little bit different, but also how we can find some new suppliers and, and some manufacturers using globalsources.com. All right, so I'm really excited to uh, share this conversation that I had with him, and him and I were just really going back and forth uh, you know, with suppliers and manufacturers and kind of how their platform works and what makes them different and what to look out for and some of the common mistakes. I mean, he's been at this a long time, and he's been at it before you know, Amazon sellers were even doing it and now that they're doing it more and more uh, you know he sees some common problems that he's going to share with us and hopefully prevent anyone from making all right so really really excited to have him on now before we do jump in though I need to remind you that we've started to add transcripts to all of the podcast episodes so if you want to download the entire discussion that Peter and I had today and or if you just wanted to read it on the blog you can go over to this particular episode and this is 170 so the link to that would be the amazing seller.com forward slash 170. Again, that's the amazing seller.com forward slash 170. There's going to be show notes there as well, plus the transcripts and all the links that we discuss. So you're going to definitely want to head over there and grab it. All right. So with that all being said, I'm going to stop talking now so you can listen to this amazing interview or this discussion that I had with Peter Zaff. Hey, Peter, what's going on? Thank you so much for coming on the TAS podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Hey, appreciate you having me on today. Uh, not a problem. I'm excited. Uh, we are going to be talking all about and picking your brain, if you will, all about uh, sourcing uh, from different, uh, you know, different or finding different suppliers, finding agents, and all of that stuff. I know that's a, a huge sticking point for a lot of people, uh, and that's why I wanted to have you on. You've got uh, some experience in this, and it's going to be really interesting and it's going to be very educational for people, I think, to understand that there's not just one place that you can go to. So maybe you can give us a little bit of a background on who you are and uh, kind of what you're up to today. Uh, great. Sure. I'm Peter Zaff. I've been working with Global Sources for about uh, 15 years now. Uh, what Global Sources does, we run trade shows with uh, China suppliers and we also run an online sourcing site, globalsources.com. So I've had the opportunity to be working with uh, buyers and suppliers, you know, the China suppliers and uh, global buyers for many years. Buyers all the way from the big retailers down to Amazon and eBay power sellers. Oh wow! Okay, that's that, that's really good. Uh, so I'm glad that we are having you on because now what we can do is we can dig into, uh, you know, exactly, you know, how long has has Global Sources been out there? Just just before I do get into what I want to ask you. Sure. No, we've been in business for over 40 years. We started wow. with trade magazines and had to kind of ship them by air and ocean, and then we added the website, then we added trade shows. Wow. Okay, that's that's awesome. Uh, okay, so let's just kind of get right into it now. Global sources, how do they compare, or what is the differences between that and like Alibaba? Sure. So for the for online, Alibaba is probably our closest competitor. And in terms of similarities, we're both kind of directories of companies that you can use to source and get product. What I hear people tell me. It, the di or some of the differences include one, we run trade shows. So a lot of the suppliers you see on our site, you can also meet face to face at our trade shows. Um, second, and we hear this a lot, a much higher percentage of the suppliers on our site are manufacturers. 
So if you want to go direct to factory, you, you, I would say you should go to our site first. Uh, but we do have less suppliers because we don't have that plethora of agents. Um, so if you're really looking for an agent, you know, maybe you don't come to the Global Sources site first. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's just you know, the reality. No, that's good. Um, we tend to have more uniquely designed products because they come from the factories, right? Not from agents that are kind of reselling or testing products that they, they don't have access to or they don't own. And then um, uh, we also try to do some work to get buyers trained in, in best practices for sourcing so that the, uh, the buyers and suppliers have a good experience. So in addition to the globalsources.com site, we also run a site called uh, smartchinasourcing.com. And that just has a lot of good content on kind of sourcing practices. Okay. All right. So let me ask you this then. Okay. So you're saying like we're direct, we're directly communicating with the manufacturer, but if we were to go through and try to find, uh, you know, a product that we're looking for, right. And I go to your site, maybe you can lead me through that process. So, you know, I'm just a, a new Amazon seller. I want to launch my first product. I want to create my own brand. Is your site or, you know, the site that you, you are affiliated with, you know, is Global Sources able to help me or is that for when I get to be bigger? Uh, no, I think we're able to help you. I think what you're going to find on our site is that, you know, they're not agents. So there's gonna, there are going to be uh, factories that have, for example, um, MOQs and some of them are just going to say, especially if you're small and just starting and, and not doing large orders, they're going to say no. Um, but then a lot of them are going to say, hey, yeah, we'll accept your trial order. You know, it's similar to the other online sourcing sites. You search for a product, you find a supplier, you contact the supplier, and you start your communication with them. Hey, this is what I'm looking for. Can you do this, you know, in this time frame at these quantities at this quality level? Uh, mm -hmm. Please send me some samples. Okay. So it's pretty much very, very similar then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, now that we're dealing with the manufacturer uh, and we're not directly or directly speaking to an agent, how does that work as far as communications? I mean, do they have someone that's working for their manufacturer that is acting as like an agent only for their their manufacturer? Or kind of how does that work? Yeah, no, usually what I see is it, it's basically an in-house um, sales executive or export sales executive. So it's it's the staff of the manufacturer and factory, and it's ca call it the salespeople on the staff. Uh, they, In terms of communication, I presume it's pretty similar to what an agent does. You know, you're just communicating your requirements. Uh, they'll communicate sample fee and whatever their require their requirements or business practices are. So the communication is similar. I think an advantage if you can work with a factory is you don't have an intermediary between you and the factory who needs to you know pass information on. On the other hand, you know sometimes you may want that somebody that understands how to work with the factory better. So you know it depends on what your strategy is. Okay. Uh, so then once we start working with this manufacturer, are we going to, is it, is it common to have the same like sales rep that's assigned kind of to you now or? Yeah, is, you're usually emailing with the same person the whole time. I mean, you know, quite frankly on Ali and a lot of the sites, you may not know if you're working with an agent or a, an in-house call it sales executive from one of the factories. I mean, the, the process is, is so similar. And in fact, um, the agents, they're not going to tell you, hey, I have to go back and talk to the factory. They're, mm. they're kind of act like they're the factory, even if they're not the factory. Yeah, it's, no, that's, that, that is, yeah, that's. Yeah, just, yeah. just as a result of that, the, the processes are very similar. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm seeing that. Um, I've never used them, but I mean, I'm definitely going to be looking into global sources now because of that. Uh, because, you know, obviously, if you can go direct, 
you know, but in the same breath, you know, I think that you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket either. Uh, you know, so if I was going to go there and right now and look for my, my famous, uh, you know, example is my garlic press and I go there and I search for, a a, a um, you know, a, a garlic press, are they still able to, uh, go ahead and make these modifications and custom, you know, customized products for me? Is it, is it still able, are you able to do that? Or are you kind of, st- you know, take what they already have? No. So, I mean, kind of, so definitely virtually all of the factories, they're OEM factories. So they, and when I've talked to them, I, you know, we have, we run the trade show. So I go around and talk to the factories and I ask them and I ask them, Hey, what percent of your business is people buying products, you know, your designs off the shelf, no changes. And what percentage is changes or original designs? And the, the overall answer is about 50, 50. You know, so all of them are used to, uh, uh, hey, let me buy that design. You know, let me change the packaging, put some labeling on it, whatever. And they're all used to, hey, I like that design. I'd like these eight changes. You know, how can we do that? Now, as soon as you want changes, you know, MOQs may go up. Sure. But yeah, they're, I mean, they're all used to that. Does, does that help? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that, that totally helps. And I mean, with having, um, you know, I guess being able to talk to the manufacturer directly is an advantage, um, in, in a sense, as long as, uh, you know, as, as long as, uh, you can communicate that through that one person, I guess, cause that's with the agent. What I, what I like with that is, is, you know, yes, they are working for that company, but they also have other companies that they work for. So in a sense, if you're looking for something, they can find, you know, different you know, manufacturers that they can pull from. Um, but in this case, we're going directly with that manufacturer. So we would want to then do the same process, just maybe two or three times to find two or three different factories. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Just like you might do the same process with two or three agents. Yeah. But you're right. An agent may go out and talk to multiple factories. Um, and if you're talking to one factory, you should be talking to multiple factories. Yeah, yeah. And now what are you seeing, though, typically? I mean, maybe you can't give me an exact answer, but what is typically like if you wanted to do a test order? Are they willing to do? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I, I wish I could give a statistics. Mm. But I don't have accurate ones, so these are going to be gut feels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? The manufacturers, you know, five, ten years ago or ten years ago, you didn't have eBay sellers and you didn't have Amazon sellers. So they were used to working with retailers and brand owners. Um, MOQs were pretty strict, and they they generally it was hard to go below MOQs. Um, the world has changed a lot. Retailers, uh, it's I'll say two thousand seven to two thousand nine, got stuck with a lot of inventory. The big box retailers started placing smaller quantity orders. Okay. And you started seeing the eBay power sellers come in and now the Amazon private label sellers. So a lot of the so the world has changed and a lot of the suppliers recognize that they need to be able to support smaller order quantities. So I think it's very it's very common and every supplier is used to being asked, Hey, can I do a trial order, even if it's below the MOQ? But I think they will also expect and to to have clear communications. You, you should say and expect to um, have your next order hit the MOQ. So, like, you can't do, like, you know, three trial orders in a row. I mean, mm. I, I wouldn't recommend that. It's not going to be good for the relationship. I think you can tell them, look, we can do an MOQ order, but we need to do an initial trial order, test the quality of the product, test market acceptance. Um, if that works, then the next order we expect will be the MOQ level. And my, my gut feel is about two-thirds of the suppliers will say yes to that or more, Right. Okay. Now let me ask you this though. So what is typically, um, you know, like by going to your site, like what is a minimum, a minimum or a, you know, a minimum order that is required? I know that's going to vary, especially probably on size of product and stuff, but 
you know what I mean? Like if you're talking about something that's small, lightweight, you know, something, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, are we talking like 5,000? Are we talking 1,000? Like what, what are we looking at? Yeah, like you said, it varies a ton from product to product, but just a round number, a thousand would be a, not an uncommon MOQ if you had to throw a number out. Okay, okay. And okay, so now let's kind of, let's move into, okay, we're doing some communications with these people. How is the payment and stuff handled? In, uh, great. Sample, know, yeah, sample payment, uh, PayPal is very common. Um, I, I, I actually specifically went around and talked to a bunch of suppliers at our show, you know, how do you do sample payments? And receiving PayPal, you know, virtually everybody accepts PayPal for sample payments. Okay. Um, now, but then when you get to the order, that's different. Um, in general, the suppliers don't like PayPal. There's more fees. It cuts into their margin. I mean, you can totally understand that. Um, the other thing that they hear from their friends, right, the, supplier, the, the chatter among the suppliers is everybody has, you know, some order that PayPal is holding up or, or some, some funds that PayPal is holding up for some reason and, you know, the, the chatter among the buy side is it's always the supplier's fault. But the chatter you hear on the supplier side is, hey, these are all the problems the buyers are causing for us, right? So it's interesting listening to the chatter on both sides of the community. So uh, PayPal creates a lot of risk for them. So they don't like PayPal. And it's expensive, so they don't like it. So much more common for the order would be a wire transfer, uh, paying, call it 30% when you place the order. Now, they need that money so they can go out and get raw materials, and then 70% before the order ships. Um, I don't want to get too complicated, but I do recommend um, wh when you get larger, you may not need to do this for trial orders, uh, do a pre-shipment inspection before you do that 70% payment. And there's plenty of companies that can do that for you. Okay. So I covered a lot there. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was fine. Uh, oh, and I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ever pay anything by Western Union. If you see somebody that wants to you to pay by Western Union, you know, I'd run, not walk, run away. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good advice. Yeah, and when you do, um, when you do pay by wire transfer, you know, make sure that the, the the name of the bank account you're paying to, I mean, it should be a corporate account and it should match the company name that you've been talking to. Now, there are cases where it doesn't match, so it's not a red flag if they don't match, but it's at least a yellow flag if you're like, this does not look like a company name that I've been dealing with. You definitely need to investigate that in more depth. All right. So for example here, uh, now that we're kind of talking about the payment and stuff. So if I was to send the sample, it's pretty common to go out there and say, I want to send you a PayPal payment. And they're usually okay with that. But then moving forward, uh, you know, we're going to then have to wire them some money and we can basically just get their banking information and then do that through a wire transfer through our bank. Is that typically how that would work? Yeah. And, you know, I, since I'm living in Hong Kong, I don't know the U.S. situation that much. Like the Hong Kong banks, you can do an international wire transfer online, so it's very easy. Um, I don't know how many of the banks require you to kind of go into the bank and how many of them are used to doing international wire transfers when you go in there. So you just have to work that out with your bank. But yeah, exactly what you said. Okay. Yeah. I mean, typically for us here in the States, it's uh, like 50 bucks for a wire transfer from your bank. So know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not crazy. terrible. Yeah, it, it, it's not terrible. It's part of it. But I mean, you know, if you were going to pay credit card, you know, you're going to pay more of a fee for that anywhere they were, they would. So that's why a lot of times they don't want to. Now I know, and I don't know if you have heard this, but you know, Alibaba had just, they incorporated a credit card option now in there that is kind of offered. Um, is that anything that global sources would ever do? Or are they, or, you know, or is that like kind of on a, you know, kind of like a, a manufacturer basis? Are they going to offer any type of credit card payment online? 
you know, I can't comment on what we're doing in the future. Uh, we're not doing that right now on the sourcing site. The one of the reasons is because most of the um, transactions are individually negotiated. You know, price, quantity, packaging, labeling, uh, delivery time, any mm -hmm. changes to the product. So as a result, there isn't really standard pricing. One and then two, when you get to the larger dollar values, like you said, you know, two three percent on a credit card, it gets prohibitive. Yeah, um, and most businesses get access to, I believe, lower cost wire transfer fees. So the wire transfer just becomes a lot more cost effective. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Now I just pulled up uh, your your site that um, you know the sourcing site, Global Sources, and I just pulled up a garlic press. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of lead people through this. So I'm looking at it, and the minimum order here is 500 pieces. Um, and it says it's uh, 90 cents to a dollar per unit. Now, obviously that's not going to cover shipping and stuff like that. Um, so basically here it says, uh, you know, product request, request sample, request latest price. So is that all you would do now? So is that what I would do is just inquire now? That's the most common action. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I'm looking at the page right now. It just says inquire now and it gives all the specifications. It gives uh, the contact supplier. Is there anything that we could put in here or anything that we should do to make sure that we are filtering the top suppliers, you know what I mean? Or the manufacturers, yeah, so, uh, you know, is, there, is there something there we can add to a search or something like that? Well, so if you're still on the product page, kind of on the top right, you'll see, uh, I think if you're on the same one, I am second year. Yep. So that means that that particular supplier has been on global sources for longer. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't want to say anything negative about the first year suppliers. We think all the suppliers on the site are good. And on the global sources site, just to let you know, you know, we do get, I'll say, comments or feedback from buyers about their interaction with suppliers. It's about one supplier per year that we have to take down because we think that they're, I'll say, scammy. Yep. yep. So we're, okay. we're really comfortable with the suppliers. Okay. Um, the problems that we see more often, I'll say, are commercial disputes. Uh, most often it would be around quality, and that would tend to be kind of a communication problem and, and no inspections having occurred. Okay. And yes, I see back. Yeah, I see there's a little check mark too that says verified supplier. Yeah, so the second year. That's right. So the check mark for the verified supplier, we make sure that they're uh, a legal entity. Uh, the vast majority of these suppliers we've um, visited ourselves. Uh, let me see what else is on this page. Uh, because a couple other things that we do, although I, I don't, it varies from supplier to supplier. If they have product certifications, they can upload them. We will, where we can, where there's a third party database where we can validate that certification, uh, we'll check that so that we don't get the Photoshop certifications. You know, regrettably, that's a little bit common in the industry. So if you ever get certifications, you need to validate them. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at some more badges down here too where it says contact supplier, and I see another one here. I'm hovering over it. It says this supplier has a business registration profile independently verified with relevant government agencies. Um, so there's some other badges there, I guess, that we could look at. They've got their homepage address. They've got a telephone extension they've got a fax they've got a mobile all of that stuff so i guess to to kind of look at the contact information and you can kind of get a good gist there uh if they're if they're a, a real business i guess is what we're looking at right yeah and, and you know I, i'm gonna i'll go on the record and I'll, I'll say every business on here that's verified is a real business okay okay i'm very comfortable saying that okay uh, okay, and then I'm just looking again here, and I see that we have payment terms, 30% uh, 30 
TT and then or um, LC at site. And then delivery time, 30 to 65 days after receipt of deposit. Um, so, you know, it's pretty much standard. Um, conforming to FDA, uh, let's see, and then it's got some code here, uh, food grade inspection standard, OEM service, all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah everything it, is. And interesting thing about garlic presses, technically you're supposed to do some testing to make sure that they're FDA approved. I don't know the details of those testing, but I think a lot of people don't realize that. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. So all of that is, uh, is here right on the site and I would just hit inquire now and then go ahead and start that inquire process or inquiry process. Okay. Okay, good. Um, all right. So we've kind of covered, okay, we go there, we search, we kind of get that, you know, that, I guess that relationship started with this manufacturer and we would do this with multiple ones that we were interested in. And you're saying at that point, then we can ask them if we can modify it if we wanted to or make the handle a little bit longer or whatever we want to do. That's when we would do that is when we start communicating with this, uh, you know, with this manufacturer. That's exactly right. And now is, is shipping, is that usually, uh, you know, is that up to us? Is that using their account? Is it using our account or does that vary as well? Yeah. So for samples, I would recommend usually um, u- using their account or having them pay for shipping. The suppliers usually for samples for air have access to better rates mm-hmm. than the, you know, whatever, 30% discounts we get from DHL and UPS. Mm-hmm. For, for the shipment itself, then that depends on the, the terms of trade. Very typical would be FOB, which means mm-hmm. that th- they're responsible for getting goods to the port uh, for ocean shipping. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then you're responsible for getting it from the port to you know, either Amazon FBA or your warehouse or your house, which your, right. your logistics provider would help with. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And again, that's uh, everything here is pretty much the same up until, um, you know, or, or as far as like getting yourself, uh, you know, the product ordered, getting it shipped and all of that stuff. Everything is pretty much the same. The payment is even pretty much the same. It's just like you're saying, um, you know, these companies that are on this site are also, um, and you are, you know, your company, Global Sources, is also doing trade shows so you can actually go and physically talk to some of these manufacturers. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. So a lot of these suppliers you can meet face-to-face at our trade shows. Uh, you can contact them before the um, show. Like on this particular one, let's see. Um, we have, if you scroll further down, the other supplier information. So they looks like they... They exhibited at our show. We did a show in uh, South Africa in Johannesburg. So it looks like yeah, I see that. Johannesburg show. I guess this yeah. particular supplier hasn't been to our Hong Kong shows. Okay. Now, are all of your shows, um, you know, are they, uh, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is they're, they're never going to be in the States or, or do you ever have one in the States? You know, we, we tried the States. We did one in Miami. Um, we haven't continued that at this point. So our shows are primarily in Hong Kong. Okay. The uh, and I'll, just to let you know, when I walk into our shows, I walk in and we have three thousand booths of suppliers. And I walk in, and I say, "Oh my gosh, you could fill not just a store; you could fill a whole mall with all the products here." Wow. Um. So wow. I mean, they're they're big. So it's a great opportunity. And the the buyers that I talk to, and I uh, they they tell me, "Hey, the reason I go to the shows, I can meet suppliers face to face. I can see a lot of products quickly. I can see." who has quality products quickly and uh, because I saw them face to face, they think I'm, you know, more, a more serious buyer because I invested mm. in coming out to the show. Sure. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. And so how many shows do you typically have a year? Uh, we have six show dates. So we do, a, we're very strong in electronics. We do an electronics show. Then we do a mobile electronics show and a gifts and home show co-located. And then we do a fashion accessories show 
And each of those are four days. We run them twice a year in April and October. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's great. Uh, Okay. Let's move into kind of some mistakes that people, that you've seen people making, and maybe we can uh, bring them to the surface and and hopefully help others not make these mistakes. So maybe you can kind of go through some of the common ones, like right off the top of your head, like what you see and that things that we could do to to prevent these. Yeah. So I'll I'll start with the the entry level mistakes and then the the experienced guy mistakes, right? So the the entry level mistakes are, um, hey, I bet I can find uh, low cost iPhones or Xboxes from a China supplier and sell them in the US and make money. Okay, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) So don't don't buy branded stuff. I mean, stay away from branded stuff. You'll you'll avoid, you know, half the scams. Okay, okay, Uh, that's a good one. Uh, the second one is, and we already said this, um, Western Union, you know, I, I, I run. It's, I mean, if they say we'll only accept payment by Western Union, I'd run really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but just there, it's, it's just too easy for fraudsters to pretend to be a supplier, request money by Western Union, and you can never track them down. So it, that's, I, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> we want to keep that, uh, keep that out of their hands yeah. for sure. So, th- I mean, those would be like super basic. Then okay. kind of moving to the next step, and I, I you know, you, you, you talk about this all the time, get samples, mm-hmm. you know, get samples from multiple suppliers. Um, suppliers, different suppliers have different policies, but there's, every year there's so many kind of new people entering the business. Like we saw in the, in the very late 90s, uh, people started realizing, hey, you can get free samples from suppliers. So you'd have college kids requesting, you know, sample on TVs from suppliers, and suppliers, because they'd been dealing primarily with retailers, would be like, okay, yeah, I'll send you a sample TV because only you know, legitimate buyers contact us. But then they figured out pretty quickly, oh, yeah, that's kind of a scam. So we should stop doing that. So now they charge sample fees you know, just as a threshold for, are you guys serious? No, that makes sense too. I mean, I get a lot of people too. They say, Scott, why do they want to charge me for samples? Well, number one, they're shipping it to you. So they got to cover the cost there. Definitely. And you know what I mean? And even if they give you the sample for free, they're going to want to cover that because they get, you know, tons of people that want these samples and not everyone is going to do it. So, you know, I don't, it doesn't really bother me that they, they charge for that. I just figure it's cost of business, right? You yeah. got to have the sample in hand. And, and to be fair, they're, they're, again, they're not, they're, not trying, they're not really trying to recover the product cost. They are trying to recover the shipping cost, but more it's just a, a hurdle to see how serious you are. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, okay. So, so I mean, those, yeah, so those, those, those are some, yeah. So, so, so samples, I mean, we, we all, we've always said that and I've always said that, you know, you got to get a sample in your hand. Yeah. Um, okay. So what's, uh, what's another one? Oh, well, the ne- so now we're getting to kind of more, more common issues that, you know, experienced guys also, um, face. Sure. And that would be, you know, that the quality of the product in the shipment is not the same as what you had in the sample. Mm. And, yeah. you know, especially if you're working with an agent who, you know, has a lot less influence over the factory he's working with. So this is, this is where things as, folks mature or they're doing bigger orders, you know, they may want more, somewhat more rigorous processes in place. So, you know, just to be aware of what I would recommend, you know, at a particular point in your business, I'd say get the samples, um, all the things you don't like about them, write them down objectively and they become your quality control criteria. Um, then attach that to your purchase order. Okay. So then the supplier, he, when he's agreeing to the purchase order, he's also agreeing to your QC criteria. And some suppliers will say, you know, no, I can't, 
achieve that QC criteria, whatever. This component I get on the open market, I don't control the quality. Well, then you make mm-hmm. a decision. I, I can accept that or I can't. And you can walk away. But it's a, it's a good initial step to figure out, will the supplier be able to achieve the levels of quality that I want? Um, then pre-shipment, get a third-party inspector. And it costs uh, about 300 bucks a day. And usually one man day is enough for a pre-shipment inspection to get the, uh, the products inspected before they ship. And for the inspection... I think a lot of you know a lot of people think of it as an extra cost. I think of it as insurance. Yeah. Right? Because you can get product reworked if it doesn't pass inspection when it's still in China and before you've made your final payment. If you've received it, you can't get it reworked and you've paid 100%. Mm. Uh, plus if you do that pre-shipment inspection, you're positioning yourself to be able to ship direct to FBA. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of shipping to yourself and then reshipping to FBA. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think it, it's a good process to plan on growing into. I, what the, what what typically is the time frame for that uh, as far as like a third-party inspection company? Are they pretty readily available? Yeah, so the, the inspection companies nowadays, you know, they're saying, look, you can book the day before. I, I would suggest booking earlier. But mm-hmm. typically you, you work with the supplier to figure out when they'll be ready for the inspection. Um, then you book with the inspection company and kind of the second tier ones that, that you see a lot that I would recommend. I mean, I think I've seen on your, uh, on your uh, Facebook page, Asia Inspection, very reputable, Asia Quality Focus, uh, ProQC, uh, VTrust, uh, Sofist, InTouch Quality. Any of those guys will do a good job. You book with them. They, uh, after product's ready, they'll inspect. They'll send you a report. It's basically 20 pages. Uh, they'll fr- from math they'll figure out the size of the sample to check. They'll take photos of any of the things that are problematic or didn't meet your QC criteria, and then based on the math they'll say, okay, objectively this this passed or failed. There were too many um, critical, major, or minor problems, or or not so many. But then you say, okay, I'll accept the shipment or not. And you have the okay. photos of the the products and the defects they found. Okay. Okay. That, that's that's good. That's good. That way we can also go back to the manufacturer at this point and say. This is what was wrong. We need these fixed. And if they're fixed, we'll accept it. If not, we won't. Yeah. So then, then kind of a next step of complication is in your purchase order, you can put terms in there that says, look, if you fail an inspection, you have to pay for the second inspection. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Yep. Um, now, I've talked to a couple folks. And one of the folks I talked to said, I use that as a term. I've never had the supplier actually pay for the second inspection. But the point, the point there is, and you know, this is kind of how, how China sometimes works, is, okay, they might not pay. But then they owe you because you, you can say to them, hey, look, you know, this is what we, what we put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have a little bit of moral leverage, so to speak. Okay. Um, and, you know, if you tell them you're going to get that pre-shipment inspection done up front, they know you're serious about quality. They're not going to take defects from other runs and stick them in your shipment. That's true. That's true. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that, that's good. And, uh, you know, again, I mean... Depending on where you are in this in this process and how many you're ordering, I, I think especially if you're starting to order at scale, I mean, that's definitely, especially if you're using sea shipping and all of that stuff too, right? I mean, you're, you've got a lot of money invested here. To invest in a third-party company is probably the smartest thing you could do. Yeah, and like you said, early on samples, yeah, they come straight to you. An initial trial order of, I don't know, 40 pieces, you could come to yourself. 200 pieces, you could come to yourself. You know, at... At like that trial order level, it's a question of, to me, hey, do I want to start getting the inspection company um, and, and figuring out how the inspection is going to work with this particular supplier? 
because uh, if you do it at 200 and you do that, then when you get to the 1,000 or 2,000 or container load orders, you know, you kind of, you and the supplier know how it's going to work. But you can also wait until you get to those large orders. You can do that 200-piece order and ship it to yourself. Mm. Now, does the inspection company usually charge more per size? No, they charge per man day. Okay. So okay. If, it's, if it's a really big um, order and the, the sample size requires them to spend two man days to be able to, you know, check that sample size of your order, then it costs more. Okay. But for you know, for the types of um, orders we're talking about, it'll typically be one man day, and that's about three hundred dollars, give or take. Okay, so like if if they were going to inspect, if I had an order coming through and it was a thousand units, right, and I was going to have a thousand units coming through, do I tell them that I just want a certain number of those inspected, and then that's kind of like the criteria they go by? Yeah, so you can Google this now, but I'll explain it as best I can. Um, there's sampling criteria. So the first thing is, you know, how much do you want to sample? Very, very common is it's called AQL level two. I don't have the tables in front of me, but let's just say that at AQL level two, you sample 75 of them for an order of a thousand. I don't know if okay. that's the right number, but you know, there's a table right. that tells you the number. Okay. Then within that 75, the, the table will tell you, hey, if there's more than, I don't know, four minor defects, it fails. And if there's more than three major defects, it fails. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, I skipped a step. There's also kind of the, 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 what turns into the quantity of failures. Very common would be, I think it's 0, 2.54, so zero critical failures, 2.5 major, and four minor. And that translates into numbers. If you exceed that threshold, it, it fails the inspection. If you're below the threshold, it passes the inspection. Okay. But the inspection company can work with you on all of this. I mean, you can Google it to understand it, but the inspection company will work with you. Okay. So you basically just, you, you communicate with the inspection company and then they're going to kind of walk you through kind of typical stuff and then kind of what we can do additionally. And then you're going to pick kind of like the thing that is going to suit your business and then go from there. Yeah. You know, just so that they don't have to educate you too much. I would do a little bit of research on inspections beforehand. You can do that on smart China sourcing or, or Google AQL inspection levels. You know, it, it, it'll be 20 minutes of reading and you'll be a lot more educated. Okay, great. But great. more, more importantly, you know, it is very valuable. You know the product, maybe better than the inspection company. So they do really, they, they will benefit a lot from seeing your QC criteria. Okay. And then okay. your QC criteria, you know, there, there's the product criteria, but then there's also the labeling and packaging. Mm. So you can include that in your QC criteria also. Okay. And have them check some of that and see how that's progressing. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, the boxes are, you know, the printing on the boxes are you know, how they were supposed to be. And if they pull them out of the, out of the packaging, they're, they're seeing that something is, uh, you know, just the coloring is faded or maybe, you know, they had something wrong with the printing and, and then, uh, they can pick that stuff up. So that could be in your criteria sheet. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I like, um, Hey, the right F F N S Q label is on the right product. Yeah. 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 It's not smudged so that it's scannable. Yep. Yep. No, that's good. That, that's good. Yeah. So and anything I think on the surface level of us as being, you know, the product owner, uh, we're going to know what those are. Um, and then those are what we can we can put on our sheet, our QC sheet that they're going to have to follow. But those are kind of like surface level that, you know, we want just to know that our products come when it hits the warehouse that it's going to be sellable. Right. We that's, don't want to. That's exactly right. 
you know, uh, because I think that's the scary thing with a lot of people is you're ordering, you know, yeah, your test order might be only a couple hundred. And if something was wrong with that, it's not the end of the world. You go ordering a thousand plus and something's wrong and it gets into Amazon warehouse. You don't know it. Well, now all of a sudden you've got thousand you know, pieces in there that are wrong or that they're damaged. And now you either got to, you know, they're, they're being sold and your customers are going to leave you negative reviews. And that's a, right. That's no, bad. You want to you prevent know. that. <laughs> yeah, we want to prevent that. Definitely. Um, okay, cool. So do you have any other common mistakes that we can be aware of and that we could hopefully avoid? Yeah. Uh, so a different one. So I'll, I'll talk about the, um, uh, uh, a, a scam that we're seeing, but it's not a supplier scam. Okay. Um, what's happening is the, the, the bad guy fishers, they're fishing, um, the supplier. So they're getting access to a supplier's credentials for their email. And then okay. they're, then they're logging in to that supplier's email address and they're, they're checking the emails and they're saying, Hey, which buyer is going to pay us some money soon? And mm. then they'll email that buyer, you know, from that supplier's email address and saying, Hey, our banking information's changed. You know, can you send your next payment to this other bank instead? Ooh. Okay. And you know that I, I've I've seen and heard that happen. I haven't followed up with folks to understand if the bank can actually get the money back once they've transferred it. But you know, kind of another red flag: if the bank account details change, you know, find some other way other than email, probably phone, to call up the supplier and say, "Hey, I just want to confirm." that your banking details really did change and not that, you know, somebody fished your email and is mm. trying to, you know, get me to give them money. No, that's, I think that's the smart thing. So anyone listening right now, whether, you know, you're finding your suppliers or manufacturers on other, you know, sources or whatever, this here is a great one because again, that would be very easy to do. And you know what, not knowing you would be like, oh, okay, that's, you know, they, they've, they've changed their banking. So I have to just change my, you know, routing. But I think the best thing to do is then call your uh, your manufacturer and then talk to them and then get that so you know that they actually did that. I, I do that with credit card. If so, if I get a credit something in my email about my credit card and they want me to log in to see this, that, or the other thing, well, I know that that's probably a phishing thing. So I'll I'll call my credit card company and then I'll ask them and then if they say yes or no, then I follow up. So I think that's just that's that's good practice. Yep. 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 Hey, and let me let me talk about one area, one other area, and this one's a little, sure. a little bit more complicated, but people should at least be aware of it, and that is the regulatory compliance issues. Um, different product, and the problem is it's difficult. Um, different product categories have different regulatory compliance requirements. Uh, children and toys, uh, healthcare, even electronics. Um, there are some categories that have fewer requirements. You know, I don't know, like picture frames or pet toys. Um, so it, it's worth maybe doing a little bit of research and you can talk to your suppliers and say, Hey, what, um, what certifications or what regulatory requirements do your customers usually ask about? Mm -hmm. Um, you can also talk to your freight forwarder if you're working with one to ask them, but just do a little bit of research and try to understand, you know, are there regulatory requirements for this product in the U S and do I need to meet them or not? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's good advice. Uh, the one I've been hearing quite a bit about—I don't know if you've heard about Flexport. Uh, Flexport's been been uh, coming on the radar here that I've been hearing about. I had a, a gentleman on the show recently, Derek Miller, who's using them, and he says basically that's it's all kind of done through their their dashboard in a sense. And and like you just said, um, that's part of their process, I believe, too, to kind of give you guys the heads up 
you know, as far as what you need to uh, to have in place in order to allow that to kind of, you know, go through all of the different stages. Have yeah, you heard so, of Flexport? Yeah, so Flexport, they're on the logistics side. They'll handle ocean air shipping. Actually, we're, um, oh, j- j- sorry, a slight plug. Um, we're going to have the Flexport guys speaking at our Smart China Sourcing Summit. It's source, oh, cool. sourcing specific training we're doing in Hong Kong with our trade show. Um, but yeah, so the Flexport guys, they're, they're great. They've got a good user interface to book your ocean logistics online. They'll, they'll track it and, and air logistics. Yeah. Um, there are a ton of other companies too. I've heard some feedback that Flexport isn't taking on new customers right now. Uh, but you can you can Google you know third party logistics provider freight forward or customs broker you know call mm-hmm. up a couple and find one that'll work with you. The the, the industry is super fragmented. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, I just I've been hearing a lot about Flexport and I hear that they're really really good. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, anyone listening, check them out. I guess I'll leave it in the show notes. And uh, I just know that because I was talking to Derek about it and he was saying that pretty much anything along that process. If they don't have it in there, they'll have like resources to get there. You know what I mean? Like so, um, they just they try to make that streamlined on the process because um, that can get complicated, right? If we're talking about now, you have to figure out you know reg- regulations and all of that stuff. Um, you, you need to you know you need to make sure that you know what you're supposed to be doing and try to follow that as closely as possible. Yeah, and I, you know, quite I, I'm not as aware that they will help a lot on the regulatory compliance side. I, I've seen the online interface. It's definitely more kind of book the shipment. What's the pickup date? When's it going to get dropped off? What's the current status? And they're very good at that. Um, I, I'm not sure that they've done as much on the regulatory compliance side. So I, okay. I, I don't know if I'd rely just on what you're able to learn from them for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't know because I have not used them uh, in particular. Uh, I just know that I think I was talking to Derek again as as far as like having the bond and stuff like that. Like I guess they take care of like helping you with that. So I just thought that maybe in that process they had some resources. But yeah, just, just check it out. But uh, so where would someone go to find more information about that, uh, you know, uh, you know, regulations and stuff. I mean, one, once you, once you ask your, your manufacturer and they say, yeah, you know, it's, it's this certain thing. Uh, where do you go from there? Oh, great. The certain thing, then you can just Google it and learn about it. I, okay. The, the harder step is what are the certain things that I need to do? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so basically just ask the manufacturer and they're going to probably be able to give you a heads up on what other, uh, you know, what other uh, businesses have been using. I, I, that's a great shortcut. It may not be complete, but that's where I'd sure. start. Yeah. You know, the, the expensive ways are ask a lawyer, um, hire a third-party consultant. Uh, yep. the, the cheap ways are ask the supplier or ask a couple suppliers um, and, and, or ask your freight forwarder. I think I'd, the s- supplier feedback might be a little better. Mm-hmm. So it, it just depends on how comprehensive you want to be. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, the, the, these were great. Uh, do you have any other last ones you want to add in here or do you want to wrap this up? Uh, no, uh, well, I'll do one last one. I think I touched on this earlier. Um, I would, as you get more mature, you know, I'd, I'd move away from the, you know, the email back and forth. Okay, great, I'll buy two hundred pieces and start putting in, it into a purchase order. I mean, even if it's just a spreadsheet. You sure. can start adding terms and conditions to the purchase order. And one of the terms and conditions would be, you know, I'm not going to release the final payment until you pass, you satisfactorily pass inspection. And again, uh, oh, so this is an interesting story. I talked to one buyer. Uh, I'm not going to say I recommend this, but I talked to one buyer and she said, I always tell them I'm going to get an inspection done because it signals oh, okay. that I'm serious about it. And then 
I never have the inspection done. Okay. Okay. I'm not recommending that. Okay. But, you know, it, you can't signal up front, hey, I'm going to have an inspection done. And then you can choose, okay, not to have an inspection, make the payment, have the goods shipped. You know, dep- depending on your risk tolerance level. She tends yeah, to sell yeah. her products that, you know, were less risky. I, I don't see that being that big of a deal. I, th- I think, you know what, you, you could put that in place, even especially in the beginning. Um, and, um, you know, I think maybe even decide at the at the you know at the end of the process that you feel like everything has has met you know the criteria and stuff and you're going to take a chance on your first one maybe you know what i mean if you didn't do it um for whatever reasons or maybe you do one and then you say you're going to do another one in the next time and you don't um you know i i think that could be up in the air but i think that's that's fine and quite frankly all the retailers do that differently too so yeah yeah i just think you, you need to keep people on their toes you know yeah, and, and you want and, to signal to them that you're, that this stuff is important to you. Yes, yes, yes. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, all right, well, th- this has been great, Peter. I appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk us through, well, walking us through global sources, number one, because, you know, I've seen it pop up here and there and, uh, you know, in different discussions, and and uh, I just haven't heard a lot of people uh, using it. I know Alibaba is is one of the, the bigger ones that people are talking about or one of the ones that's at least being talked about, and then uh, AliExpress, obviously, um, but we're always looking for other, you know, channels, other sources, and uh, I, I think everyone should check it out. I know I will be. And uh, yeah, go go through it and uh, you know get familiar with the with the interface. And I think it's pretty basic, though, right, Peter? I mean, you just go there, you do your search, and and you kind of find the products that you want to source. Yeah, from that perspective, yes, there's some additional information at the supplier level that you can look at. And like you said earlier, uh, when, when folks businesses become more mature or bigger, um, then there's also the opportunity to come to our trade shows and and see more suppliers face to face. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's really good. And I, I just think, again, like I said, it just gives us more options. And uh, again, like I've said this before, too, it's like you're making uh, or you're creating relationships with either manufacturers, suppliers, agents, whatever you want to say. Um, and the more that you can make, you know, these different connections. It gives you more options moving forward within your business uh, because you have more, you know, more places to pull from. So that's exactly uh, right. Yeah, yep. so I, I think that it's it's smart to investigate and uh, and go out there and and just keep finding uh, you know new resources. And I think this is a great one, and I'll definitely be uh, be looking at that myself. And hey, who knows? Maybe I'll even get out to a trade show. So that would be fun. Let, so let's uh, have you out. Let us let us know when you're able to make it, April or October. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. So yeah, okay, Peter. So this has been great. Is there any last little bits of uh, advice or words of wisdom that you want to give the TAS audience? You know, I think you know everybody's just. Everybody's just trying to, I don't want to say make some money, but everybody's just trying to get by on you mm. know, both sides, the buyer and the supplier side. So a lot of the mistakes, they tend to be communication mistakes. You know, there's a lot of uh, language differences. I, I'm just impressed that the Chinese can speak English so well that they're able to communicate with us. I mean, our level of Chinese is a lot lower than their level of English. Yeah, right? yeah. But then there's time changes. There's, there's cultural differences. So... You know, communicating clearly and completely as much as you can, you know, over communicating goes a long way to um, making sure that you don't have problems in the sourcing process. That's the only other point that I would add. 
Yeah. So really like, just don't, don't over, don't overwhelm them really, you know, with, with what just, you know, ask what you need to know. But then almost like I said, you're, you're, you're interviewing them in a sense and, and they're kind of interviewing you in, in the process as well. So it's kind of like that back forth and, uh, you know, you really have to treat it as a relationship that you're building with these people. And I, like you said, I think communication is huge. And, uh, if we can learn to communicate, you know, because we, we might use slang, right? Exactly. In, in our language and it doesn't make sense to them. And exactly. they might use slang back that we're like, what the heck? Why are they saying that? That's, that's, that's kind of rude. And it's like, they don't know because they, they think they're communicating the way that we communicate. Yeah. So one, one of my, uh, a sh- short story within our company, one of my um, colleagues is British. He communicates with the, the, our Chinese colleagues. And basically, you know, if they see a word that they don't know, they're going to right click on it and see the Chinese translation. And okay. if it's slang, that translation may make no sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Try, it's true. Try to use this. The simple communication will really help a lot. Just like you said. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. All right, Peter. So, is there uh, is there any other place other than globalsources.com that you want to point people to? Uh, so, globalsources.com is good. I mentioned smartchinasourcing.com. Which oh, is yeah, that's for some information. Yep, that's good. Kind of the sourcing information that I mentioned that we're going to be doing um, that summit. That's and you can get information on that at globalsources.com/slash/summit. And that's where we're going to be doing kind of face-to-face training, co-located, sourcing training, co-located with our trade show. And it's targeted toward uh, Amazon PL sellers, you know, that, that, are, that are ready to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll link all this up on the show notes. And uh, yeah, and anyone listening, uh, you know, I think sourcing is something that is, you know, it's definitely something you need to learn. But also when you learn it, it's an asset because you're building these relationships and these channels for you to go out there and find more products. And uh, that will ultimately help build your business. So I think it's really, really important. So Peter, once again, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day. I know that you're in your travels right now and you're going to be heading back to Hong Kong, right? That's right. I've got my flight in a couple hours here, but thanks thanks for making the time for me. I really appreciate it. It was great to be on here. And I, like I said, I love sharing kind of the knowledge that I have so that people can have a better buying experience when they're working with suppliers. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And hey, have a good flight back. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be in touch. And everything that we mentioned here, I'll link up in the show notes so everyone can have access to that. So once again, Peter, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon, bud. Thank you, Scott. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Okay, so there you have it. Another great discussion with someone that knows a thing or two about sourcing. And I think that this is really valuable for all of us because we don't want to put our eggs all in one basket. I mean, you guys have probably heard me say that before and just hear other people say too. We don't want to just depend on one source. So globalsources.com, check it out. Um, I'm going to be uh, going over there as well. And I've already kind of played around with it a little bit. And there are a lot of uh, similarities to Alibaba and this particular platform. So definitely check it out. It's worth looking into, especially if you wanted to, you know, find other suppliers or other manufacturers, uh, whether it's a product you're already currently selling and you want to have another backup source, or if you want to go completely into another product and maybe start here. Uh, I think it's really, really good to be able to diversify where we're finding our products and our manufacturers from. So definitely check that out. I think it's valuable. So that's it, guys. 
guys, that's pretty much going to wrap it up. I did want to remind you, if you are brand new or if you haven't attended one of my live free workshops, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash workshop. You can register for an upcoming one there. I'll take you through all of the steps for launching your first product on Amazon, everything that I did all the way up till now, and uh, what I've done differently and that I've changed. I share that all on the free live workshop, and I also answer live Q&A. Would love to have you attend. And then also, I want to remind you that all of the show notes for today, all of the transcripts, all of the links that we discussed will be in this episode's show notes. So head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash 170 and you can get all of that over there and uh, you can have access to it immediately. All right, so that's it guys. That's going to wrap it up. Remember, I'm here for you. I believe in you. I'm rooting for you, but you have to, you have to. Come on, say it with me, say it loud and say it proud. Take action. Have an awesome, amazing day, and I'll see you in the next episode.